what advice would you give an aspiring investor that's you know six to 12 months away from their first deal? Build a team of people with similar values to do that. And that's going to help you significantly lower, lower the risk. You know, there's always a risk, but with the right team and due diligence, you'll have more benefits than the risk. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. It's another one of our first deal episodes. And what we've started to do with our first deal episodes is turn them into case studies with our Tribe of Titans. So we are doing this in front of a live Zoom audience. Um, so I'm very, very pleased today to welcome Misi Lu to the show. So Misi, welcome. Thank you so much, Brian. A big fan of you and your show and also part of Tribe of Titans. So yeah. glad to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm a big Misi fan too. I mean, uh, just, just for the listeners, let's see, we met in person last October at Jake and Gino and mm-hmm. uh, been following you since and very, very excited to see what you've done and even more excited to talk about um, you and this first deal. So let's start off with this. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Basically, walk us up into how you got into apartment investing. Start wherever in your life you want to and just tell us a tale. Sure. Yeah. I know everyone has a big why for getting to this industry. And for me, I, you know, started with a similar background. There's a lot of people working at W2. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a diverse range of skills, gaining W2 from working in sales, door-to-door sales to supply chain, being a buyer, and also IT area to data analytics, which is my latest profession. Um, and uh, that's not enough. You know, why? Because I realized that during COVID when one of my uh, roommates at the time got laid off from work and I was just working 12 hours a day and I was like, this is not enough. If I get fired, laid off for any reasons outside my control, um, I don't have a passive income. And uh, and I support my family in China. I came here when I was 16 as a high school exchange student and I'm the oldest of the for and uh, I've always been helping out with my family so it wasn't just me that I wanted to take care of but a bigger family as well so I wanted to seek out other solutions and um, I was was wanting to invest couldn't understand well figure out the stock market (laughs) spend a lot of hours scratching my head and getting stressed over so I accidentally fell into real estate investing through house hacking as I mentioned earlier I had two roommates I bought a house in Arkansas after I moved from Chicago back to Arkansas. Houses were cheaper. So um, it was so nice just collecting rents, uh, even though, you know, it wasn't a big amount, but it covered my mortgages, my utilities. So if I did get laid off, if my roommates were working, I would get by just fine. So I was like, how can I do it bigger? So I got and purchased another duplex. And Mm -hmm. that's where I ran into issues with uh, some of the tenants. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't think anyone meant to be bad, but I did have a bad experience with them ghosting me, yep. with them paying rent late and ended up trashing the place. So I was trying to figure out how to scale and really get to the financial freedom number for me. So it really started out as that. And uh, my friend told me about a investing conference in Dallas to purchase and invest in apartments. That's where yep. I learned last March. Yep. Um to invest, um, started out investing passively and then moved into investing actively. And during this process, I realized that so many people around me having a different mindset of just working. And a lot of times I inspired them to think outside of that, whether, you know, they're a credit investor or not a credit investor. So I found more and more passion of helping people to do that as well, especially realizing my background coming from China, where there's so much emphasis in studying, studying 12, 13 hours a day as a teenager. So instead of learning about budgeting and finances, how to create a business, I didn't learn any of that. So um, my passion, second why, my why is to also help others, kids or adults learn about the uh, possibility of getting freedom and use that to focus on the things that really matters for them. And that's why my company is called Life Mission Capital, you know, how people invest well so they focus on what matters. Life Mission, I like that. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so, sometimes you see people's, the, the name of their companies, you kind of wonder where that comes from. And I, I'm glad you put that in, Life Mission Capital, help people fill their their life missions. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to go back and, and just dive in a little deeper on a couple areas that the first house you bought. Now, when you purchased it, were you, did you have in mind, I'm going to go find some roommates for this? Did you already have the roommates, you know, set up or what was, what was the the situation when you bought the first one? It was a primary residence. I purchased it just because I got tired of paying rent when I was living in Chicago, you know, thousands a month going towards rent. (laughs) Houses were cheaper and it was a scary decision. I thought, you know, everything was going to go wrong. Oh, did, you know, mm-hmm. is the roof going to last? And yep. is there a plumbing issue? Uh, it turned out, you know, I was just over warrior. I think from that time, I started learning about the concept of really leaning on experts and finding partners. In that case, it was the inspector, the real estate agent. Yeah. You know, I had to do a little trust by verify at the beginning, but eventually I had to go towards their expertise. Mm-hmm. Um and help me through the transaction, right? Uh, the important things to get started, like a lot of people would say, because <laughs> you know, one of the things, Brian, you say a lot is buy real estate and wait, right? Yeah. You know, the cycle definitely helped, right? Buying a, a house at $100 per square foot right now, I saw it's for $180 per square foot easily. That's yeah. definitely nice without doing anything to it, no renovation whatsoever. Um, so that's a good example of buying real estate and wait. And uh, I had extra rooms and the house is 1,800 square feet, big enough. So I had roommates. They're also my best friends. So it was a great time living together. Uh-huh. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's nice when it works that way. And I, I know a lot of people, and this is this is going to be episode 280 something of, of the podcast. And you know, a lot of people get into real estate doing something very similar. It's just, it's just you buy a place, you're like, hey, I've got extra room, you, know, you get some roommates, they start paying rent. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, my living expenses just went to zero. And so you you saw what was happening and you're like, how can I, how can I replicate this? How can I, you know, keep the ball rolling? You buy a duplex and then same thing. So um, now you, you said you had some, some problem tenants. What were, what were the biggest problems you had with, with the tenants at that duplex? Because it was during COVID time. So mm-hmm. there was the no eviction policy. There were, you know, 
behind on the rent even before I took over the property. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know they were struggling um, because they were just having trouble paying bills. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the number one thing. Like they were unable to pay bills on time. And also <laughs> on their um, pet agreement, they had a four pound cat, but it's more mm-hmm. like a 30 pound dog that poops in the garage <laughs> right yeah. so uh, there's a lot of things um you know whether it's intentional or unintentional i just didn't want to deal with it yeah. um and that's why you know i started scaling into apartments with passive investing last december and then immediately with active investing to 48 units and this year scaling to over a thousand units uh, awesome. some of them were still closing um, and that's why, because I don't want to deal with that, right? I want to focus on the things I'm passionate about, which is uh, talking to people and motivating them, encouraging them, helping them find ways to meet their goals, yeah. um, whether it's financial goals or other goals. I want to be part of that and focus mm-hmm. on raising capital equity partners. It's one of the best ways to do it. And I do it while I'm having fun versus dealing with tenants and toilets. And I know there's a lot of people with great expertise in asset management and property management. I'll leave it to them. So we'll all get to enjoy something we love. Yeah. I, I like how, I like that mindset. It's like, Hey, this is, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm in, This is what I enjoy. And you, you can find a way to, to participate in the upside um, without having to do the things that you you don't enjoy. And there are some people that are very good handling tenants and toilets. And uh, from, from that perspective, let's, let's ask about some, let's talk about some of the challenges you had getting started. What, what were some of the issues that you faced when you, you went from that duplex to starting trying to bring other people's money into real estate deals? That's a very good question. Cause the first step is always the hardest mm-hmm. uh, for me. Uh, you know, trying to understand what's going on, make sure that I really understand the risks before bring other people's money in was the first difficult part. So I spent about close to six, seven months just studying uh, from participating in masterminds, paid, unpaid uh, meetups. So every day I was just listening and then people were telling me, you know, network is your net worth. So I started talking to a lot of people and I, I have to say that that's kind of uh, not a hundred percent true in network is your net worth because I think it depends on who you talk to. So once I slowly figure that I really want to become an equity partner versus a deal finder, acquisitional asset management site, I started kind of building a list, right? Building a list of people who has an interest in passively investing with you is important because I knew that a lot of my friends and family either didn't want to partner with me on the first deal or they just... uh, uh, they don't want to do business with friends or they don't have the money yep. to invest. So I knew I had to build a circle. Mm-hmm. So I started building a list just by talking to anyone, everyone I can find in the meetups. Well, it's not really helpful because a lot of them are active investors. <laughs> when you go to meetups, people tend to be, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't have the money to invest 50, 100K continuously, but I have the time that really build a legacy for my family, you know. Mm-hmm. Great, a great thing to do, uh, but it's not really helpful for me to build my equity business. Mm-hmm. So on my first raise, I really didn't do that well. I only raised a hundred thousand dollars, and mm-hmm. um, it felt. I mean, it went. It was in two weeks, but it went through really fast because um, there was basically not much, um, you know, going on 
I sent out an email and I called a few people and um, I kind of knew who was going to invest. The ones that was going to invest, they invested. And the other ones, they were like, uh, yeah, that sounds interesting, but maybe next time. Or a few weeks ago, they were like, oh, I'm interested. Uh, let me see if my capital is available. And then my capital is deployed to another deal I'm working on. So yeah. I built a huge list, 300 people by November last year. But uh, you know, not many people who are actually investors that want to invest in my deal. Being grand- granted, it was my first opportunity. Yeah. Um, so now let me let me go back. You said you raised a hundred thousand in two weeks, right? Is is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. It was a it was about a hundred thousand about two weeks. Um I'll tell you, two weeks, I mean, for your first raise, that that is a very short time to to raise money. So um I, I would even call that a big win, just being able to get a hundred thousand dollars in two weeks. I mean, uh, most people when they're doing their first raise, they they have you know a month or two to try to uh, to raise capital. And I'm, I'm sure yeah. if you had a little more time, you probably would have brought a lot more money, but yeah, a hundred thousand dollars on your first raise in two weeks is still, still pretty darn good. So yeah, it, it wasn't bad. Uh, I could have had longer time, but because it was my first deal, I was, you know, waiting, waiting until things to get into the right place before I released kind of deal information. Yeah. Uh, and by that time, I didn't have much time available. But the thing is, by the time I finished raising, <laughs> you know, one thing we'll talk about is closing was delayed. But, you know, I already kind of talked to my investor that I wanted to talk to. There wasn't really much to be done at that point. And uh, um, it was also a, a different deal than what I would normally do these days. It was an auction deal. So mm-hmm. closing was tight as well. Okay. So that's, yeah, a lot of, lot of interesting things, you know. <laughs> Two weeks is still. I actually had somebody, somebody from the tribe, call me up and ask me if I could raise um, for them with with a two week period. And you know, the first thought that went through my mind is I, I could probably raise money, but you know, for for me to to hit that seven figure mark, I'm, I'm probably going to need you know maybe a full month, you know. And that's any, anyway. So yeah, two weeks, very very compressed. So good job on that one, and glad it worked out. Um, Let's talk about, you know, deal specific stuff on that first one. You said that the first one was the auction property. Yeah, it was an auction property. I partnered uh, with another group of investors mm-hmm. that they actually found a property, an auction property. They did a lot of fix and flip and also the apartment syndications as well. So they had a track record of heavy value add. Mm-hmm. So with that experience going in there and also their local in the area, yep. in Chesapeake, Virginia, boots on the ground. So I decided to partner with them. But being that it was the first opportunity, yeah. um, you know, I had to trust but verify and really work to understand that this is something that makes sense for me and my investors. It wasn't a deal for everyone because auction deal come with inherently a lot of higher risk and higher reward as well in this particular case. Uh, so it wasn't for everyone. So that's probably why I only raised 100,000 on the first opportunity. But, you know, uh, the thing about raising or doing anything is that, you know, if you find a positive person, they always look at things that half full. Otherwise, <laughs> they always see the person that yeah. sees the glass is half empty. If it's a rainy day, oh, you can't sell a, you can't sell the ice cream. If it's a sunny day, you can't sell the umbrella. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I've had a partner that, uh, you know, I've said could, uh, um, you know, sell a two-piece bathing suit to his grandma. You know, it's just one of these things that uh, yeah, there, there's some people who are really good at that stuff. But uh, um, yeah, so and it, back to one of your points, you know, there are different types of deals and different investors have different 
appetites for different things, you know, so something purchased at auction is probably going to, um, you know, pardon the expression, scare away some people, you know, especially newer investors like, wait, this is bought at auction. Yeah. You know, what's wrong with it? You know, but um, it, it tends to be a little more of a speculative investment and a little higher risk, but a lot of potential for higher reward. And some people, they just don't have the appetite for that. Some people are more along the lines of, Hey, I want a more consistent, a uh, higher probability of, of a return. I'm okay with lower numbers. So that's something you just have to understand as a capital raiser and an investor that you know some people that pass on one deal, they may pass on it because it's it's the return profile. And we've had a couple of people who've said, "Hey, I'm not interested in, in this type. I want something that's giving us giving more cash flow." And when the next deal comes along that meets their criteria they're happy to invest. So that's something I'm glad you you brought up uh, just because it's it's uh it's the reality and you know you, you got to make sure that you're matching your investors up with the type of deals they're looking for and vice versa. So yes. Um, yeah. That, that's very true. There's no one size fit all solutions and uh you know I think as an operator the operator tend to have a very specific type mm-hmm. of property that they look after, yep. uh, whether the fiscal characteristics or the particular business plan. But when it comes to equity partners, we've got the option to choose a specific mm-hmm. asset class, a specific yep. business plan, or a variety. Yep. And there's no right or wrong way. It just depends on how you want to be perceived mm-hmm. um, in terms of your brand and the approach you take. And for me, in this type of market, I really want to be as diversified as possible while still having the focus. That's yeah. why I tend to like to have a variety approach, but yeah. not everywhere though, but just with specific strategically chosen partners. Yeah. I think that's smart. I mean, some areas are going to do better than others. We're, we're in a, we don't have the data to show that we're officially in a recession yet, but I think most people would agree that we're in a recession right now and we don't know what's going to happen to, to real estate prices. Um, you know, 2008, which I think is an anomaly. I don't think we're going to see the same thing. Some areas, you know, crashed hard while other areas didn't, you know, and I think we're going to see the same thing. We're going to see mixed results across the country. So a diversified approach to investing in, in multifamily, you know, I think that's, that's a fairly smart way of doing things. And personally, that's what I'm trying to do with, with my LP dollars as well. So, um, you know, trying to get a little bit of Southeast, maybe a little bit of Texas, maybe a little bit of, you know, mountain, inner mountain West and, um, yeah, trying to do exactly that. So, um, let's talk about how this, this first deal helped you with subsequent deals. Cause you, you said you're, you're in over a thousand units right now. You know, the first deal was Chesapeake, Virginia, 48 units bought at auction, you know, maybe a little bit of hair on it, but you had a team that was ready to do it. Um, let's talk about how, how you took the lessons learned from that deal and, you know, how that uh, helped you out with subsequent deals. Yeah, definitely. I think you helped me realize the importance of building an effective list. So I had a list of over 300 people around that by that point. But, you know, give, it was a special deal that I, that was my first deal. But still, my conver- conversion rate was extremely low, right? Yeah. So I was trying to figure out the quality of my deal. And I figured a lot of them are really active investors. The deal could be here today. Uh, they're uh, investing funds for passive investing could be here today, could be out tomorrow when I see another opportunity. Whereas, um, so I need, need to find more passive investors. So I started looking at ways for me to build a better passive investor base. Mm-hmm. And second thing, what are the other um, platforms? 
I can build for myself on social media. Yeah. Uh, I chose LinkedIn as my platform. Other people chose Facebook, mm-hmm. and where I can establish uh, my presence. Mm-hmm. And the third thing was for the strategic partners, I really want to choose. You know, I'm very grateful for the first uh, partnership I was able to have, and I think they are very good people. And I did learn about you know how I can be a better partner for others as well through that experience. Mm-hmm. So kind of figure out what does my future partnership look like, how to find them, how I can add value to them. So yeah. I spent about four or five months just figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And uh, in March, I started partnering with a few other equity partners who are joining forces together to go after bigger deals that has sponsors with a successful track record of usually at least a few hundred million dollars in asset under management that I actively operate on. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, at least three, four successful exits, if it's not more. And, uh, you know, meaning we're expecting, we're exceeding their investor returns on, on most, if not all the deals. So those are some of the basic criterias. And so through working with some of the equity partners I'm working with, we developed a process of due diligence from a sponsor level, market level, deal level. And we started really getting good deal flows because that's another thing. Once you get investors in, you don't want to have like a code period of, I don't have a deal. Like let's wait for another two months, three months. People don't want their money to sit on the line and, you know, our attention span is so short today. I talk to you tomorrow. I'll be thinking about NFT or crypto or something else. Oh, yeah. So having a deal available is so important. So continues to, to develop deal flow while I was developing pipeline of investors, which neither of them I really knew. I always thought I have to have this perfect deal for my first deal, <laughs> but it was not, it was not a case. There's no perfect deal. There's only perfect investors for that deal. You know, and you bring up a lot of good points, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to strike while the iron's hot. You know, when people come to you and say, hey, I have money to invest. If you don't have an active deal, I've seen this many, many times. If you don't have an active deal, they're going to find a place to invest their money, you know, and that's uh, that's that's just the truth of things. So you, you've got to be working on your deal flow. And in your case, as, as somebody who's, you know, bring coming in as a capital partner, your idea of deal flow is finding partners who are finding deals. And when these partnerships, you know, when, when, these, when these people bring the deals and they need capital partners, you, you can kind of plug the gap. And I think that's that there's a lot of value to that. Um, once again, it allows you to focus on what you're good at, you know, and you don't have to worry about the underwriting, the calling, the brokers and whatnot, but you can still bring really solid deals to the people in your network. So um, I like how that, uh, how, you're, how you're doing that. All right. So going back to the, the 48 unit. Um, you know, you, we, we talked a little bit about the the property itself. Let's talk about the closing process. You know, were there any big hitches in closing or any big lessons learned uh, through that closing process? Definitely. It seems like it's really hard for a deal to go 100% smooth these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had delays in our closing process, mostly due to the appraisal. Mm-hmm. Uh, was delayed. And it was, you know, like I said, it was an auction deal, fairly tight timeline, closing a few weeks so we had to really get things rolling, you know, from bid being accepted to closing mm-hmm. and appraisal wasn't available. So I had to communicate to our investors. But in this case, most investors understood mm-hmm. uh, that it is an auction deal. So things are moving fast. And a lot of investors, they know the real estate market as well. Appraisal was so behind during COVID, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, we, we had we had some delays because of appraisals at that time, too. So, yeah, I'm very, very familiar with that. 
Yeah. So, so that part wasn't bad uh, in terms of closing, but, but mm-hmm. recently we had a little bit more um, challenges with communicating delays in closing with one of our deal that <clears throat> we have yet to close yet actually. Um, but we had delays to it uh, because of uh, loan changes mm-hmm. and yeah. which is still very common in, you know, this past couple of months because the loan environment has been changing, interest rate continue rising. And then you turn on the news on the left and right, it's recession potentially coming and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, while all those are true, uh, you know, it puts <clears throat> a lot more fear in the investor's hand, uh, heart about what could this mean? Does this mean it's a bad thing? So we had to do a lot more uh, education and assuring investors about what's happening at a deal level and at a sponsor track record level. You know, there's always going to be something that's happening in the world that could be something that's bad. So what we really need to focus on is on some of the individual elements that we can control on, which is, you know, the sponsor's track record is really solid. They have a strong presence in the Houston market. Uh, I was telling the investors. And also the deal, it's solid. You know, our business plan is very conservative. You know, half of the rents already realized uh, that we're trying to increase is already realized in another unit, mm-hmm. uh, another property across the street that's uh, either in inter- inferior conditions. They're charging $100 more. Nice. Right. Yeah. And our exit cap is like 125 basis point higher than the entry cap market rate. So like, you know, there will be like a. You know, Mother Nature did something horrible to the to the whole earth or something like that mm-hmm. for the deal to go back. So yeah. overall, it's a very, very good deal. So we had to assure investors mm-hmm. um, that our confidence in implementing the business plan. Uh, of course, our deal has risks, but we had to explain that to them so that they feel a lot more comfortable. So it's definitely a different type of uh, communication that we had to tell investors compared to before. Hey, yeah, the market is so hot. There are so many people buying. That's why the appraisal is oh, yeah. So I think communication and uh, you know have, have been able to invest it in the past passively and also try to invest along my investors passively as well. I know how it's feel to be in passive investors seat, especially if it's your first time investing mm-hmm. and it can feel like there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Yeah. You know, and, and from a, from a GP perspective, uh, you, you mentioned something that there's always something that delays things. And I've, I've been, uh, you know, lead sponsor or KP on 10 deals right now. And that's absolutely true. There's always something that's going to delay closing there. There's always something that comes up that, you know, you've got to fix, you know, sometimes it's something on the, the land survey. Sometimes it's something on the title report. You know, we've had a lender come back and change our proceeds, you know, three days before we're supposed to close, you know, in the wrong direction with, you know, less, fewer proceeds, but there, there's always a lot of things to, um, there's always a lot of things that can pop up. And I think you hit the nail on the head is you just communicate that with your investors, you know, let your investors know what's going on. It's like, Hey, we were supposed to close last week, but you know, we have an extension. We just paid for the extension. No big deal. This is what's going on. We'll close as soon as, you know, the bank gives the final approval and the bank's waiting for X, you know, so, so lots of good things there. So, um, so how about, how about this uh, final couple of questions as we wrap up, you know, what's next for you? Yeah, thank you. Definitely the next for me is to continue working with investors and help them achieve their financial freedom and help them focus on their why. And uh, 
you know, I'll do that by continuing to focus on the platforms that I've already have a presence on LinkedIn. And also I'm considering launching a podcast as well. I haven't quite figured out the focus yet. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and I'm hoping to, you know, add value um, and uh, encourage people in seeking their freedom and building their legacy. Um, And the third thing is to uh, give back during this process. You know, what I've learned is that you don't have to wait until you're super duper successful uh, and become your dream self to start yeah. giving back. You can start giving back when you don't have much. Mm-hmm. That way you get used to the process of giving back, whether it's time, energy yeah. or financial resources. So yes. continue to do that and uh, work with like money investors to build a empire together. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's passive or active investors. I think there's a lot of opportunities for everyone. So I'm excited to uh, take over the sky with everyone. <laughs> nice. Along the path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, about the giving point there, there's a quote by Tony Robbins that I really like. He says, if you can't give, I think 10 cents out of a dollar, you'll never give a million out of 10, 10 million, right? So it's one of those things. It doesn't matter how much you have, you can start giving back. Um, mm-hmm. About the podcast, I'll remind you what you said earlier about going to to your meetups. You know, if, if your podcast attracts people who want to syndicate, you're not going to get a lot of passive investors out of it. Okay, we have not got a lot of passive investors out of this podcast, but we've had gotten a lot of people interested in syndicating, and you know, a lot of them are now sitting in the tribe of titans. So, you know, make make sure when you're when you're doing that podcast from from one person to one one podcaster to to another. Um, you know, make sure you have that alignment up front and it's definitely, that's why I've been given some thoughts yeah. and, uh, yeah. And then want it to be as a way to give back to people as well. You know, if anything, it's a way that kind of fulfills my, I guess my heart and wishes on the financial literacy piece and also education piece, which is something yep. I'm passionate about and I've been given to. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so Another question, and probably my favorite one of this this type of episode. What advice would you give an aspiring investor that's you know six to twelve months away from their first deal? Yeah, I would say you know thinking back about six twelve months ago, uh, the first thing I thought about is you know learn, mm-hmm. and then take massive actions. I say massive. I like to emphasize massive <laughs> and yeah. then experiment and then double down on the things you found working mm-hmm. because everyone is different. So you have to kind of figure out what's that thing that's working for you. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing would be build a team of people with similar values mm-hmm. um, to do that. And that's going to help you significantly lower, lower the risk. You know, there's always a risk, but with the right team and due diligence, you'll have more benefits than the risk. And the third thing I would say is stay laser focused. There is not only one path to success. Mm-hmm. There's many paths, like thousand paths yeah. to Rome. But without focus, there is no path to success. So those are the three key takeaways I would give to any aspiring investors, mm-hmm. um, six to 12 months behind me. Awesome. Thanks a lot. And last question, how can listeners learn more about you? Definitely reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn, Missy M-I-C-Y-L-I-U, or go to my website, lifemissioncapital.com. You can learn more about me as well. Thanks for coming on the show today. Very much appreciate it. And uh, for our live audience, we're going to turn to question and answer. And for those who are listening to this on on the podcast circuits or watching on YouTube, uh, join the Tribe of Titans and you'll be part of the question and answer on the next one. Um, That said, thanks again, Misi, and I very much appreciate your time. Thank you, Brian. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already, and then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.